Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by the Nyarazo Group. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today, I'm in conversation with Justice Malala, a South African political commentator and author, a newspaper columnist and a TV host and producer. Enjoy part one and part two of this quality conversation. Um, Justice Malala, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Thank you, Trevor. It's lovely to, to uh, be here with you. It's so lovely to... You've done so much for my country. Um, I, I, I feel... I don't know what to say. It's an honor. It's a pleasure. And it's, it's really great uh, uh, to be speaking to you finally. It, it's my country too. It's my second home, Justice. So uh, what pains you pains me because it, it, it will always be my, my second home. So Thank you so much, Justice. I don't take for granted your, your, your being here. Thank you for creating the time. I've been chasing you around. You've been writing a book. You've been hiding from me, but finally pinned you down. And I'm delighted that pinned you down at a time when the South Africans have been through the local government elections. I think the results were almost there. So we get an opportunity to talk about that. So Justice, you are a political commentator. You are an author, newspaper columnist, you are a television host, you are an executive director. Which of those roles, Justice, do you enjoy the most? <laughs> I think I'm still a journalist at heart. Um, right. You know, I, um, I started off as a print journalist. I started at uh, the Star newspaper, which uh, based here in Johannesburg. Um, I, I was a young kid, I was a rookie. And in fact, in fact, you know, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure. Um, my, my first book starts on my first day mm. uh, uh, on, in a newsroom at the Star. And, that's, and I'm writing about the death of uh, the assassination of Tristani. So, mm. so April 10, 1993 was my first day in a newsroom. And that's what, that's what happened, the biggest story in, mm. in transitional South Africa. So of all those roles, um, really the key one, the one that I still feel myself as, is a journalist. You know, mm. I, I sit, I look around, and I try to make sense of the world. Um, the others have just been adders to, to me, you know, talking to people, talking to you, learning something, and then committing it to, uh, I know my kids, and, and I'm sure your kids and the young ones are saying, oh, look, he's talking about a typewriter. <laughs> but that's, that's still the way I think, you know? Um, and I still, I still think so much. I think many of us have that image of uh, Dambuto Marachera sitting mm. in a park and mm. bashing away. That's, that's, my, that's my idea of writing. So, so that's me. That's, that's how I still think of myself. Fantastic. Now, when you look back, um, 19, uh, 1973, you said it. it's 1973 when you, when, you, when you started. 
when you look back at my my apologies 1993 (laughs) when you look back uh justice at the profession clearly you you've been you're growing you are getting into other spaces but you remain at heart the journalist but looking at our profession in south africa in zimbabwe on the continent what what's your assessment of where our profession is right now look i think it's i think uh, a lot of journalists are under siege and and it's under siege not just from um undemocratic regimes that has been going on for decades you you fought and stood up uh on these issues uh, of, of press freedom, of the ability to just be who you are, and that is a journalist um, for, for many, many decades. But I think the challenges we face are multifaceted. It's the challenges of new ways of communicating, um, the fact that you and I have you know, dipped our toe into this medium and, and speak to people on television, uh, online, uh, in, in many, many other ways on social media. I think that traditional media and, and in a way traditional media for me is still a powerful tool because I do like in the morning to sit down and say, the proprietor is Trevor, the editor is this person that he and his board of advisors have, have appointed and they have curated for me what is happening in the Sudan, what's happening in Ethiopia, what's happening with, you know, the killing of black men in the US. And I get a sense of the world and someone has said that. Mm. Uh, Part of my frustration with social media is, is that, you know, Trevor's tweeting, Justice is tweeting, everyone's tweeting and and I get a lot of, I get a lot of junk. Yeah. um, so so it's, it's part of the challenge, I think, of, of our profession. How, how are we doing? I think we mm. faced a lot of, of challenges. I think many, many people are standing up in a, in a beautiful and courageous and admirable way. But I think that the economics of newspaper making, of magazine making, the the milieu in which we we work has changed so fundamentally and so drastically. Some of us who come from print particularly haven't really grappled with what it means when a story is running on social media right now and we're thinking, oh, my deadline's at six. It can be, you know, and and that disruption um, is, is something to think about. Just finally, I think that there are many, many players who try to, and in many cases succeed in manipulating the the media, um, who are trying to, in insidious ways to use, whether it's, you know, platforms like Facebook, others to undermine, you know, uh, Trevor is this and Trevor is that, Mm. simply because his newspapers and his editors and his journalists uh, are standing up and speaking on particular issues. So, so I think that is the next challenge that, um, you know, people are, people are spying, people are doing all kinds of things around journalists, around mm. the journalist world. And, and we, we have to be constantly um, uh, careful and, 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 you know, just keep an eye out for these things because they, they are happening and mm. they're happening fast. Do, do you think African journalists have an obligation to tell 
the African story in a, in a different kind of way. I know you are an international correspondent yourself. Um, there's a sense that, uh, you know, the, 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 the correspondents who are parachuted on the continent do tell the story in a manner that, um, that suits their, their, their audience and not particularly the African audience. Where do you sit as far as that conversation is concerned? I think, I think all journalists firstly have a, have a responsibility to, to truth. Um, so if we say um, the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, the FT, um, the BBC, all of these outlets, if we believe that they are not telling the story of South Africa, of um, Zimbabwe, of Kenya, of all these countries in a manner that is not truthful, that mm. is uh, that does that is not what the truth is. Then we must we must hold them to account mm. for that. So so the first thing for me is I am I am so happy to see young people on social media on other platforms beginning to say hello. I'm sorry. That's that's not what Trevor's all about. Mm. Uh, you know, he's not just this one thing. It's possible to do mm. two, to be two things at the same time. So, so I think that's the first thing to hold everyone. Uh, and in this day and age, uh, much to my delight, we can hold people to account whether they're sitting in Moscow or in Washington DC, because we get what they're doing right now and, and see it and we can say, Stop now. This is this is not the right thing. So, so I think that needs to continue. I think I think we Africans have to be able to tell our own story, but we cannot. The danger of of us buying into oh I'm African and so I have to be nice about. Um, uh, Abe Ahmed, simply because we are from the same continent, it will not wash because the people of Ethiopia also want my truth and they need my truth more than an elite that can send uh, its children to school in Australia, in the United States, in the UK. So I think this is part of the mistakes that we have made in the past where it's, oh, justice Oh, Trevor can, can tell the truth about the elite in South Africa, even if that elite is looting, is trampling on the rights of the poor. And, and it cannot be, it, we cannot stand for that and it shouldn't pass. Mm. So, so it's absolutely crucial that as I tell my story and my story is one of a young kid from a village and da, 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 and that's fantastic and you tell that story. But be careful of power because power in Zimbabwe and power in South Africa work in exactly the same way in many yeah. instances, protects itself and, and, and comes to me and comes to Trevor and say, oh, Trevor, you know, don't forget we are together because we have a black skin. But hello, we are also together because we, we care about the poor. We know where we come from, a, a long centuries of, of, 
of oppression and so forth. And so we need to stand up for those. We need to stop perpetuating those things. And there are many among us who do it. Uh, and, and so I would say, I say we have a responsibility and it's a, a huge responsibility to truth because if we speak truth, it's the truth of, of you know, um, I did my A-levels in Zimbabwe for a year. And so, so I, I can happily use words like uh, the povo, when, <laughs> which was fashionable when I was, was doing my A-levels in Zimbabwe. And so, and so I think it's absolutely crucial that our loyalties are with the poor, not, mm. with, the, not with the powerful, uh, mm. not with those who have. Our, our responsibility is to the have-nots. Mm. Quickly, which, which school did you do your A-levels? I mean, just briefly, which school was that? <laughs> I, I, I did my A-levels at a, uh, at a private college in Bulawayo called Spassus College. Spassus I'm not College. sure if it's still going. It, I think it's still there, still is there. Yeah, Justice, let's, let's move on. I mean, South Africans have just through, uh, been through the democratic exercise of uh, electing uh, their councillors and the elections are right uh, out right now and I think uh, almost 90%, 80%, we do know how uh, this, this thing has fallen. Talk to me now about what are the results of this election telling us about the, the political dynamics in South Africa in the first instance? What are these elections telling us about the electorate uh, in, the, in the second instance? Talk to us about on those issues. Okay. Um- Trevor, you know, um, it's it's fascinating and it's uh, and it's uh, in many ways um, revealing what we we've gone through. I think the first thing is South Africa needs to, and and I think you've made the point uh, in the past that um, South Africans need to stop being so exceptionalist. Oh, it you know this would never happen here. Oh, this would never happen here. Um, it has happened here and it happens here. So the first thing for me, what struck me mm. is that is, is what was going on before we went into elections. First, we had in July, and many uh, of your viewers, I'm sure, know about yeah. it, um, those horrific riots that took place in KwaZulu-Natal. 342 people died in those riots. Mm. Um, what, what shocks me about my country is that this is not what was at the heart and the center of these elections. The fact that in your own country, 342 people die in riots and you don't know. We, we, you know I have my views that this was an insurrection, this was an, a, a, an internal ANC uprising against its own president, excuse me, Cyril Ramaphosa, orchestrated by those uh, who want, don't want him to continue with his reforms. But this is, this is something that's almost, that we've kind of buried in South Africa. And we don't talk about what happened here. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing about what happened before the election was a study, a survey put out by an outfit, outfit called uh, Afrobarometer. Afrobarometer tracks the views of people. And the first thing was they tracked, do people trust the institutions in South Africa? And they went from everything to, do you trust your local council? And the respondents came back, only 24% of those polled said, I trust my, my local council. Wow. 
Only 37% said, I trust the electoral commission. Um, the same study looked at people's trust in political parties. In 2006, 62% of South Africans had trusted the ANC, the ruling party. That from 2006, that has plummeted down to 24%. Wow. Um, the opposition parties uh, was always 27% trust. It's now down to 27%. So in, in many ways, for me, what I was looking out for was if people have no trust, have no faith, have no confidence in their institutions, what happens when they're given a chance to participate in their own democracy? And I think the November 1 election really showed us that our people have walked away from from this electoral process, from our politics. Mm. And I say that because the, the universe, so the eligible voter base is 40 million. 40 million people are allowed, are able to go and vote. Out of those, only 26.8 million are registered to vote. So these are people who've actually said, oh, you yeah. know, I'll go and put my name down. On the day of the election on November 1, only 12 million voted. Wow. So out of a universe of 40 million, out of 26 million registered, mm. only 12 million turned out. Mm. That is that is 40, about 44%. Turned, I think it was a, the final tally was about 47% turnout. Uh, Trevor, when people do not want to participate in the mm. formal structures of our democracy, that is only 27 years old. Mm. We have to ask ourselves, what did we do? Where have we gone wrong that they have said, what's mm. the point? Mm. What's the point? So, so the, for me, that's the first thing about, about this election, that at, at first go, we need to have a real conversation about what did we do in the past 30 years that people have said, Essentially, people are saying, you duped us. You told us this would be the way to hold you accountable, to get, a, as the ANC used to say, a better life for all. And they're saying, well, I can't change this. Mm. And would we be surprised then if we get another incident like what we saw in July? July. Mm. If people are saying, I don't want the official structures, how are they going to be heard? Are they going to burn a bus to burn down, you know, to start attacking uh, people they perceive as enemies? Or it's them that are taking my jobs, my wife, my other, mm, all this mm, stuff. Mm, mm. So, so I think as a society, there's a precariousness that, that needs to be discussed. Mm. Uh, and, and I think this election exposed, exposed a huge chunk of that. So, so my second issue is that it's a, it's a watershed election in the mm. sense that for the first time, we've had 12 elections now since uh, 1994. Um, so uh, six national elections, national and provincial, and six local ones. This is the first time that the ANC has gone below 50% of votes cast. 
Mm. Uh, in total, it got 47%, and the DA got 21%, and, and the others got bits, the EFF 10%, and lots of independents and smaller parties getting a chunk here, a chunk there. But psychologically, mm. it's a, it's a, the ANC, the party of Nelson Mandela and Oliver Tambo, the party of liberation, is, is, has got less votes than the rest combined. And mm. I think it's a turning point for the ANC. I think that it's a, it's a, I don't think it's the end of the ANC. I think very much like whether it's Kanu in Kenya and others, there will be coalitions built and all kinds of shenanigans over the next 10 years. But um, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a turning point. The other key thing, um, just briefly, uh, Trevor, is that Johannesburg is in the hands of the opposition. Tswane, or formerly Pretoria, is in the hands of the opposition. Ekruleni, the area around the, the Oertambwa airport. Nelson Mandela Bay. Um, no, Nelson Mandela Bay is still in ANC. Um, but, but the major metros, the city of Cape Town, is in the hands of the DA. And, and two things are happening and, and, and you know, you and many others in, in, in Zimbabwe would know this, when you have Harare and you have Bulawayo and you have the major centers in the hands of the opposition and the governing, the traditional liberation movement is just in charge of basically- the the areas. Mm. And, and this is what has happened here because, um, the ANC has been taken out, if mm. you will, out of power. So you're, you're saying the, 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 the ANC essentially has been elbowed out of the, the, the urban, the, the big metropolitan areas. Um, mm. let, let's continue on that, uh, on that point, if you may. Yeah. So, so I, you know, my, my, the, the, the thing, and you will know this uh, far better than I do, is that when you lose the urban the urban areas, the metros, um, and you're now a party that's rooted, that's, that's stuck in the rural areas. I think it's the beginning of a major shift in our politics mm. and of a major shift for the ANC. I don't think the ANC, in, you know, to throw forward to uh, our next national election, which is in 2024, I don't think it will lose... Um, Limpopo, the north of the country, or it will lose um, many of the key areas. But, but Johannesburg is gone. Mm. And, and if Johannesburg is gone, then very swiftly, because the ANC only got 54% of the vote in the, in the Gauteng area, which is, encompasses Pretoria. Pretoria, Joburg, and essentially, if you say Johannesburg is an economic powerhouse, you're saying Gauteng is the economic powerhouse. And so in 2024, we will see, um, unless the ANC changes tack drastically, um, an ANC that is not in charge of the economic hub, mm. uh, the economic center of the country, and, and it will be relegated essentially to to the margins mm. and that will put a lot of pressure on it in terms of policy about where do you go now as an ANC uh, 
and change in policy than, you know, too many of the publications you've started and run in the past. That's when business starts to ask serious questions about where you're going. Are you going to try and satisfy the rural areas? How are you going to do that? Are you going to start taking a populist uh, stance on expropriation of land without compensation and so forth and so forth. So those conversations will come with this, with this pressure uh, of loss of uh, votes. Tell me one thing clearly, which uh, some would say is good for democracy, the, uh, ho- the political horse trading that we've seen. Um, in your view, will this impinge on the delivery of services, on, on governance, on the administration? Is this a threat or is this a good thing? What's your sense, uh, Justice? Um, my sense is that it's a good thing for it's a good thing for the voter. It's a good thing for South Africans, for the citizens of this country. It's a good thing for taxpayers, for people mm. who are paying taxes for these things to be to be done. Um, I think at national level, it's a powerful message to Cyril Ramaphosa that you cannot say I got rid of Jacob Zuma four years ago and you're still dilly-dallying. What mm. are you waiting for? Implement your program, bring about the reforms you've been talking about, strengthen the police, strengthen the uh, prosecuting authorities, and do what you said you'd do. Mm. So if in any way this is a kick in the behind, yeah. uh, then you know, bring it on because all of us will benefit. Mm. At municipal level, you, you, you use the, the, the expression uh, host trading. Yeah. Because there are no strong coalitions in the city of Johannesburg, in the main centers, it may be in the short to medium term that you have a lot of chaos. Because, for example, and I'm not sure if we're going to get to talk about this, about the opposition in South Africa. Yeah. You yeah. have the DA and mm. you have the EFF. The EFF. Mm has given its support to the DA to run, to get the mayorships of these cities. Mm. But th- th- these, are, these are chalk and cheese. You have a capitalist liberal party, the DA, largely white and supported by the white community in huge numbers. You have a radical left uh, party, that says those guys are my enemies and yet they gave them their support so they can run, they can be in power. Will they allow them to be in power and run those municipalities? And I think that's when we are likely to see the ANC going to Julius Malema and saying, but my friend, you and the ANC, we, we, we've known each other, we love each other. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll concede to you on policy one or policy two. And then that changes the support. And so I think the chaos will come when the EFF withdraws its support. And the EFF is a notorious flip-flopper uh, on many issues. And when it changes its mind, those local municipalities collapse. Uh, the ANC gets a new mayor in uh, with the help of the same EFF. And, um, and you have a change. So, mm. so in many ways, we say, oh, it's a watershed election. 
but actually it's interregnum. We are right in the middle of the move. Mm. We are not at the end of it. And, and you know, it's like being in a plane uh, in the kind of weather you've been talking about. Right <laughs> <laughs> we, we should think, uh, ju uh, Justice, you know, uh, South Africa is such a fascinating country. Yes, we talk about exceptionalism, but this is a space that none of the continent has witnessed, where, you know, you have this multiplicity of parties coming together to contest elections, and you have this power, uh, rather the, the host trading that happens, which, like you said, you know, under normal circumstances should be a, a, a warning shot to seal, to say, hey, you know, you, you, you do what you promise to do. That in itself to me is fascinating. What's your views on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's thrilling. It's, it's, it's for, for you and I, you yeah. know, we, we love this. We love the thrust and parry and the, and wow, that I didn't see that coming on. Yeah. I mean, just my lemma for all the, criticism I have of some of his uh, of his methods and 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 positions um played a fantastic game of chess politics 101 he calls it politics 101 <laughs> <laughs> he did, he did, absolutely but it was a fantastic game of chess in which he said my enemies the democratic alliance don't want me to don't want to associate with me but I'm, I don't care. I'm going to give them my vote. And then let's see what they do. Mm. Are they going to say no? No, mm. they love power. It's politics. So they took it. Thank you very much. And now they're running this, they're running my city. They're running the city where I grew up, uh, the capital city of the country. And now they have to say, what do we do with Julius Malema and his mm. EFR? So so it's thrilling and i think if there is anything that i hope and and pray and wish for is that that multiplicity of voices that that contestation has a cooling effect on some within the ruling party the anc that oh you know we can go it our own way and be and be the governing party forever. Um, that that the realization hits that actually you can't do that. It's a multiplicity yeah. of voices, a multiplicity of parties, and and the idea that I'm the anointed one uh, mm. and I will rule, as Jacob Zuma once put it, until Jesus until Jesus comes. Christ comes back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know. Um, <laughs> He's no prophet. Let's put yeah. it that. Yeah. So, let's so let's go to let's go to let me push you. Possible. Let me push you, Justice, to uh, as far as you're concerned, are they winners and losers here? Uh, the ANC, the AF, the DA, Action SA, FF Plus. Who are the winners? Who are the losers? Are there any winners and losers in your assessment? <laughs> um, <laughs> that is a push question. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think, you know, I, diplomatically, I have to say, as a South African citizen, I think the voter has won somewhat because... I suspected you'd say so, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to get onto the parties. I okay. The thing is that no, no one is sitting 
comfortably on their throne. You know, um, if Julius Malema had gone from 10% in the last election to 10 to 12% or 15% in this election, he'd be sitting there and saying, yeah. I'm king of the castle. Yeah. But he's still at 10%. 10%. Um, the DA went from 27% to 20, in 2016 to 21% now. They, you know, they're not king of the castle, but mm. they're in charge of a lot. The ANC is seeing itself below 50%. Mm. And it's saying, oh, got to do something, got to think. And a lot of people are saying introspection, um, be, do the things that you speak about. Stop talking and start implementing. Mm. Mm. So, so the, ANC, the ANC is a clear loser. But it's a loser with essentially South Africans saying, we still love you. Yeah. You're the party. You're yeah. the party of liberation, Nelson Mandela. If you fix yourself, oh, come home. You're the prodigal. <laughs> yeah. um, so they still want the ANC, but they've sent it a very clear message. Mm. The opposition has been given hope that, guys, mm. we can walk away, that we are not... It's not a. It's not guaranteed that just because the ANC is the party of liberation, then we will vote for the ANC forever. More than half the people who voted in this election went the other way. So if you're the ANC and saying, "Oh, until Jesus Christ comes back," and that, that it's blown yeah. out the water. Not yeah. true. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it's a it's a fantastic, thrilling moment for for South Africa and for South Africans. Um, it just, a message has been sent and I hope for the ANC that the ANC does do that. You know, everyone's talking about introspection. Well, mm. that they do that and change their ways because they have lost their way. Corruption is a, is a real issue in this country. What explains the, the gains that have been made by Action South Africa, Action, Action SA? What explains that? I think several things. Firstly, when um, Herman Mashaba, uh, um, you know, for viewers that remember, Herman yeah. was, uh, was mayor of the city of Johannesburg in 2016, when he was with the DA, the Democratic Alliance. Herman Mashaba did do some good things. And the key thing was, he said, I'm going to clean up the city. So if you're going to help, uh, there are many buildings that have been hijacked. They, they essentially, a gang takes over and uh, Justice and Trevor start paying rent to that gang. It's no longer going to the landlord. Water gets cut off, lights get cut off, but they basically take over. And, mm. and it's not one, it's not 10 it's tens, perhaps even hundreds of buildings uh, that have been turned into slums and so forth. And he did start that process. He, he speaks a good game. Um, he comes from a business background. And he, he, he seemed to be walking the talk for the two and a half, three years that he was in, uh, he was in charge of the city of Johannesburg. He has done something that is champion in, in the way uh, it's, for, it's, uh, um, it's spun out. And mm. that is to take a stand against illegal immigration in South Africa. Mm. Now, people like me have called him xenophobic straight out, that, that he is 
stretching at a very dangerous gap in this country. Um, if you consider what happened here in 2008, when hundreds of people were injured or killed um, simply because they are perceived to be Zimbabwean or Malawian or, you know, in Nigerian. Fact, mm. Nigerian. Um, and in many, many ways, actually, it might be someone from where I come from or mm. from anywhere, but, but it's xenophobic. Yeah. He scratched that scab. And that scab in South Africa is, I've warned about it before. I've warned about politicians using that, that, that the pain of many, many people who needed to be here. Um, that our historical nature of many of our, of our uh, politicians who don't seem to remember or whose memories don't go back just 30 years to just say, in 1993, 1994, South Africans were still returning from Zimbabwe, all over this continent. So, so he, uh, he and his team have said about me and to me that, that I, I've read them wrong. All they stand for is law and order mm. and make sure that the border and, the, and the, 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 you know, the border security is intact and that people who come here are skilled uh, people we need and so forth and so forth. I, I, think, I think you can use the language of legality. Yeah. Um, uh, you can say if you're in the United States, oh, we need to strengthen the southern border and, you know, so that Mexicans can, but, but a huge chunk of it is just nice words to mask mm. the fact that you, you're saying your failures, you're externalizing your failures and mm. saying it's the Zimbabweans, it's the Nigerians, it's the, uh, but you don't, know, don't, you, don't you think, uh, Justice, that the fact that um, he is, is called like this, is uh is uh might make them feel vindicated that uh, their campaign of uh put south africa first has a huge resonance with uh the south african constituency and and i mean the the judgment has just uh, been called right now as you and i uh we're getting onto air that uh, uh no more space special immigration uh, uh work permits for for zimbabweans do you think it's 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 uh it's, it's a winner of some sort I think it's a I think it's a winner, um, but I think I think they will feel vindicated. I think yeah. that I think they will feel that yes, um, it's a it struck a chord with mm. with South Africans, and I won't deny that it it has not. Mm. Um, uh, a lot of what he says is what you hear on the streets. Mm. It's not what progressive South Africans uh, or South Africans. My mother has no education, but she mm. finds the entire thing appalling. Mm. Um, and I know many, many, many people who, who hold the same view. But I do think that it's a, it's, a, it's a dangerous point, a precarious point for South Africa when that kind of rhetoric is mainstreamed the way he has mainstreamed it, the way um, 
not just him, I think there are many people around the former president Jacob Zuma who have uh, who beat the same drum from within the ANC and from smaller parties that have mushroomed around around this issue. Like uh, as you say, that puts South Africa first. There's actually a movement mm. uh, of sorts here. So so I think. First of all, I find it appalling and sad that mm. that that we are where we are with this issue, uh, and I find it dangerous when politicians play around with this kind of thing, because there are real consequences. We've seen it before, you know, the stories of Ghana must go. But in this country, um, the memory is fresh with what happened, yeah. not just in two thousand and eight, many, many, many mm. times. But um, Trevor, just one aside for me oh, about mm. this issue is the failure of the South African government to, to also stand up one on principle and say, this is who we are. Yeah. And in a formal manner, we will try and make sure that if there is a conflict in Namibia or elsewhere, we will be humane mm. and we will remember that we are the people who were in Cuba, in Moscow, in England, in Zimbabwe. Um, in, when I was doing my A-levels in Zimbabwe, I was yeah. surrounded by ANC, PAC, Azapo people. So, so to, to be so, as a, as, as a party that is in power, to be so ahistorical and to allow the conversation to be led by, by people like Mashaba, quite frankly, and to not bring your moral authority on it, I think it's, it's, it's a big mistake. And then why, why, why uh, Justice? I mean, that point there, I know you've written quite a lot uh, on, on this issue. Why is the ANC not taking that moral stand? I mean, Penuel Maduna, was at the University of Zimbabwe. Good mm. friend of mine when he was at the University of Zimbabwe. He got broke one day, I gave him five dollars. There's two people, Buteles, um, the one who was at the University of Cape Town and so forth. I could name a number of people that I was mm. very, very close to. So we've got mm. these close ties. Um, mm. President Tabumbeg in Zambia and, and, and so forth. And uh, I'm reminded by the Tanzanian president at the funeral of uh, Nelson Mandela, when he, he, he told that so intimate and uh, tear-jerking story of the intimacy between Africa and the South Africans. Why is the ANC not standing up and speaking out on a matter of principle, not saying, you know, we are long, but you know, this is, this is where we stand. Yeah, no, and, and this is the failure, the failure of principle. But why isn't the ANC doing yeah, it? I yeah. think it, it speaks to, it speaks to the, the lowering of the bar, mm. if you will, in the yeah. ANC. The, the quality of leadership has deteriorated quite drastically um, to one where it's all about power. Yeah. Um, and so, and staying in power. And if I can get you know, Julius Malema, say what you will about that, that young man. He has stood up on principle and yeah. said, if, then, then, then don't give me your vote. This yeah. is it. Yeah. And, and 
I, I, you know, when he said this just before the election, I had tears in my eyes. It was, mm. you've said everything that any leader that I respect should be, be saying. saying. Yeah. Whereas, whereas the ANC will arm an hour, and and you know, I hadn't seen this um, uh, this new declaration about about the visas uh, in South Africa, but but it should be a day of shame. Mm. for South Africa with the role that Zimbabwe has played in the South African struggle and that South Africa failed to stand up on in the 2000s around activists and journalists like me who were standing up and, and speaking out, that, that at the very least there would be a conversation about it. I, I don't know how deep this conversation about such a move affecting so many people and the implications for South Africa and the and the region, quite frankly, whether there has been a real conversation around it. But but I, I think the ANC, in many ways, the the driving that it's getting from voters is is to the point you're making, and it's that it's not the ANC of principle. Mm. Um, it's it's of a very cynical calculation, and I think in many ways that cynical calculation leaves us with a police service that doesn't turn up on time when people are attacked. Um, I'm reminded in June this year, just before those riots, um, shops uh, owned allegedly by uh, Somali uh, uh, shopkeepers were, were attacked and looted in, in Soweto, um, in Protea, I think it was. But one of the things was that it had been telegraphed that mm. uh, pamphlets, pamphlets yeah. were on the street saying on December, on June 16, this is what whoever it was uh, are going to do. The police just didn't turn up. They didn't up. do anything. Yeah. Um, and, and, and no one is held accountable for that. So, mm. so the state and the, the party that has won is in charge of the state has abrogated its responsibility, has walked away from a matter of deep, of deep moral principle, um, mm. where it could speak out even if it loses support for, by those who want to perpetuate this. Yeah. this Justice, let, let's move on to uh, a, a beautiful story. And that's the story of your uh, number one selling book. Um, we have now begun our descent how to stop south africa losing its way you you before we got onto the show you you're telling me that you tried to get a copy at exclusive books it sold out um we've been trying to dig out my copy from around this this house we can't find a copy i don't know what's happening there must be a conspiracy somewhere but when you read that book um when you do get a, a, an opportunity to read that book i wonder how, how you mark yourself in terms of uh, what were the outstanding issues. So let's run through, through them. 2015, the opposition was being thrown out of parliament. Cell phones were being taken away from journalists. Institutions of democracy were falling apart. And this is you capturing this stuff or were being captured. Uh, corruption was on a grand scale. The Gupta family was in ascendance. Infrastructure was decaying. Unemployment was uh, running rampant. Slow economic growth. South Africa was on the brink. Are we still on the descent or uh, 
uh, we, we've reached a rock bottom. What's your assessment <laughs> when you look at that title of your book and where South Africa is right now, almost six years, six years or so to, to the day? Wow. Um, look, many of those you can just <laughs> rattle them off. The unemployment. Um, I, I think at the time we were talking about 27% yeah. percent unemployment. It's now, um, if you use the wider definition, it's 44% unemployed. Um, it's 34% if you use the, the narrow definition of unemployment. So, so if I look back, um, you know, for me, the, the book was a, a red light. Yeah. Uh, let's wake up before our country is gone. And, and some things happened that I think were a corrective. But many, many things have not been corrected. So some in the ANC, people like Cyril Ramaphosa and so forth, you know, to their credit, stood up, uh, even if they did it in their own way. And that is, oh, no, you know, Trevor is one of us. Let's, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad tradition. But let's... We're not allowed to divide the party, you know, we'll stand yes. together and... <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> but they did get rid of him. Sure. Um, and, and unlike what I've said about um, other leaders and other changes in, in power on the continent, I have to say that the Ramaphosa faction crowd is not, is a real change from the Jacob Zuma uh, uh, faction. And so in a way, I was one of those who said, this is a great moment for South Africa, a leadership that has some backbone, that is of some principle, uh, has taken over. And, and so 2017, December, and you know, the ousting of Jacob Zuma in February 2018 was, was met by many, many people like me uh, with with elation, with um, with hope and optimism, um, my view was that Cyril had a had a real chance to to pull South Africa back from the brink and um, and uh, and turn it around and make it the 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 South Africa of my dreams, the one that mm. as a kid. Nelson Mandela's South Africa, the rainbow Nelson nation. Mandela's South Africa in large measure. Mm. Um, but to also be able to do the things that Tavon Becky was really successful at, building an economy, uh, bringing certainty to how Trevor comes and does business in South Africa, knowing that these are the rules of the yeah. game. Uh, and they're not going to be changed because my funder has given me a huge whack of money mm. and, oh, let me change the laws. Now mm. suddenly, you know, Trevor can own a newspaper. It's mm. not from South Africa. Or Trevor can dig a mine because, mm. well, this is just for South Africans only. Mm. You, you know, you need to bring those things to make the economy work. So, so where are we yeah. compared to them? I think, yeah. I think, so some good things have happened. I which, think are those, change, which are which are those, uh, Justice? The good so things I think that the happened. change in leadership in the ANC was really yeah. important. Good. I think that the leadership that came out of that NASRAQ conference, half of it was far better, far more 
had its head on screwed on right for mm-hmm. for South Africa. Um, and I think that change bought us time. Mm. And 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 that time was really to say, go out there and do it. Yeah. Now I'm I'm hugely disappointed today in in Cyril Ramaphosa. I think I still believe he has a chance to achieve and to fulfill his his promise. But I think that he's taken too long um, to bring about the changes that need to be brought about. Why, Justice? Why? Why is he taking so long and, and, and eating away the goodwill that he's had from people like you? That is because he did exactly what you, what you said uh, 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 a few minutes ago when he said, oh, you know, we are all in the party. Mm. Let's all stay together. I can't... You and I working in journalism, in, in the media industry, that when you or when I publish a story and I didn't check my sources, I didn't do the basics, that you won't criticize me because no, Justice no. and I are friends. <laughs> you know, we are in the same ecosystem. Cyril Ramaphosa's biggest mistake with his victory in 2017 was that instead of saying, I'm going to make South Africa a fantastic country, I'm going to turn it around, he said, I'm going to unite the ANC and and let's all keep it in the family and so forth and so forth. And so when you lie with the enemy, when you jump into bed and try to mollycoddle them, they you think, oh, you know, it's all okay. But but first of all, they have gone for him on any possible platform. Um, they have frustrated his uh, policy reforms, his initiatives on, on many occasions. But he still believes that, no, we have to keep the ANC together and then we'll get to fixing South Africa. Mm-hmm. And so four years, boom, uh, mm-hmm. into, into thin air, of trying to make peace with Jacob Zuma and the many people around President Zuma, who, in my view, were at the heart of selling this country to the Gupta family, to other powerful forces in society, um, what we call state capture here. And so- And, 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 and in a way, am I right that Eteguini is a flashing light that says that the Zuma camp is alive and well, and the uh, um, uh, radical economic transformation camp is not exactly destroyed. Uh, watch out, uh, Silu Ramaphosa. Am I right, or am I getting things wrong there? No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, I think uh, <laughs> kudos to you. Your, your political analysis and your reading of this country is still absolutely on point. KwaZulu-Natal remains a Jacob Zuma stronghold, remains a a den of iniquity in terms of corruption. Mm. Um, What is happening uh, in KwaZulu-Natal is that when it became clear on Monday, on, on, on this Monday, that the ANC would not be able to get the mayorship, um, um, suddenly you had um, ANC supporters marching into the venue, p- 
pulling down the tent, the marquee that was put up, um, overthrowing tables and disrupted the entire meeting. Mm. That gave the ANC time. And, and this is when the Secretary General of the ANC, who is suspended at the moment, facing numerous corruption charges, was parachuted in. Um, the former Minister of Health, Zuelim Kize, was parachuted in, and they did a deal with a Zuma supporter who'd gone off and started a small uh, uh, party. Um, and they all got together and said, let's give power to the mayor of Teguini, Deben, um, who was who during the riots in July this year said, I fully support Jacob Zuma. The rule of law is rigged against him. And, and basically, as his city is burning, mm. he's aligning himself with the looters. Mm. So, so that is what has happened there. And, and that is a, that, that's a faction of the ANC. So yeah. you've read it absolutely right. Um, yeah. So in terms of, you know, the changes that Cyril uh, was supposed to bring about, that is an example that if you continue to molecule and for four years he's been trying to say, oh, guys, you know, I'm not your enemy. Uh, let's stay together. Um, he's encouraged them and they're emboldened. Mm-hmm. And they, that, that, that is why essentially they're running their own ANC. He mm-hmm. hasn't put his stamp on it. And sadly, he has not put his stamp on, on South Africa mm-hmm. and therefore hasn't transformed it to the positive which was the optimism and the hope Mm. when he first came in. Thank you for watching part one of my conversation with Justice Malala. Join me on the other side for part two. Don't go away.